All right, so just a recap, I know we took uh, a couple weeks off from uh, part one and part two, but if you remember in part one, we started with the Great Commission and really building a case and understanding that discipleship is not an option. It's not for just the super Christians or the ones that have enough time on their hands to do it, but Jesus gives us that Great Commission in that we are all to go make disciples, right? That is part of being a Christian. That is what it means to be a Christian, I should say. And so we started off with that. And then we got into uh, the parable of the rich young man in Mark 10, 17 through 31, and really understanding what the sacrifice is. Because guess what? You can have the mindset of, I want to disciple someone, or I want to be in discipleship, but then under, not understanding that it's going to require a sacrifice. It's not going to just come at that one open spot on your schedule, and it's not going to come uh, exactly at the time you, you want it to always. It's going to require you to sacrifice time and effort and, all, uh, and be willing to do those things in order to engage in discipleship. And what I mentioned to you before was part three and part four are more practical, right? Let's talk about how we actually get started. Let's talk about how we get engaged with discipleship so that the Spirit can continue to work between us and the others that God has placed around us in order for us to be more like him, in order for Jesus to build his church through us, uh, through discipleship as he's planned it from the Great Commission. But what I want to key on today is there's... uh, specific elements that you and I need to understand about discipleship. And if we don't understand these key elements that uh, we must have and we must think through one being engaged in this partnership um, to be sanctified, then we could be on track. We could have all the right intentions and get started with discipleship, but head down an unproductive path. Or you could head down an unproductive path. You could literally be meeting with someone, talking with someone, all of that, as far as discipleship, but not be productive when it comes to being sanctified, to growing more like Christ if we don't have these key elements understood. It's kind of like if you and I were to uh, try to aim at getting to LAX from here. I know nobody would want to do that, uh, but let's just say we were trying to get to LAX. Well, you know, if you get on the highway here in South Orange County, you're eventually going to come to a point in about Irvine where the highway splits. And so you can keep going, and if you don't understand which highway you need to get on, you could end up on the opposite side of Los Angeles, the opposite side of town, and it will be unproductive in your goal of getting to LAX, which is over here on the west side of town. And so you need to understand where you're going. You need to understand the key elements of discipleship in order to be productive when it comes to getting to the goal. And so when we look at our passage today, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, you can go ahead and turn there. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we, we can pull out as we unpack our, pack, our, our passage exactly some of those key elements for discipleship to ensure you and I, when we engage in discipleship, we're on the right road towards productivity. To be more like Christ is the goal, uh, that we can have the right things in line for that. Because when we do, when we have these key elements in line, when we're in discipleship as Jesus has, has taught us to and commanded us to be in, then there, there's a guaranteed growth spiritually, right? There's a guaranteed Christ-likeness that will happen in your life, but we must understand these key elements and we must have those set in place uh, as we begin discipleship. So let's go ahead and pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. And Paul says this, he says, I urge you then, Be imitators of me, 
That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Before we leave uh, this passage, I want you to jump back over to chapter 3. Go back on the other side of the page to chapter 3 because as we look into 1 Corinthians, I want to give us a context of who Paul is talking to. And it gives us a great context as we look at the first four verses in chapter 3. Paul tells the Corinthian church this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow follow Paul, or another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely humans? So it's important for us to understand the context of 1 Corinthians. Paul is, he he started this church, he planted this church, and now Paul has left this church, and he gets a, a message that this church is gone wayward. They're gone away from the message that he's giving, given them centered on Jesus. And what they've gone to is back to where the culture takes them, right? We look at this, this, this particular city as an important city in Roman colony. It's a very rich city. It's a very highly intellectual city. And they are focused more on intellectual things and earthly things more so than what Paul has taught them. And so Paul tells them, you're acting like non-Christians, yeah, you're believers, but, but you're acting like the rest of the world. I can't tell you apart because you're not centered on the message that I gave you when I was there. You've now gone back to trying to integrate this with the rest of the culture. And so Paul is telling them, you're acting like non-Christians. So what does he tell them to do? He says, I urge you. I urge you. Right? He's pleading with them, pleading with them to do what? Imitate me. Imitate me. He's saying the same things that you saw me do. The same, the, the, the same just focus for my entire life that you saw me have. Do that. Do that. And that's what he wants you to do. He's imploring them. Don't act like non-Christians. Act, act like you saw me do when I was there. And when you read this passage, if I got up here and said, imitate me, you guys would be like, who in the world do you think you are? Right? Seriously, you, you, you would say that. I, it would almost come across as an arrogant statement. But why can Paul say that? Why can Paul say that? One is because he had the connection with them. As far as being a Christian, Paul was the, the cream of the crop. That's, that's who they knew as a Christian. Right? When you think about this time, they didn't have Bibles that were codified. They, didn't have, they couldn't open up God's word and see. Paul preached to them the message of Jesus Christ, and they had to look at his life and say, I got to imitate him because guess what? I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have 66 books of the Bible that I can just refer to and see what God has given us. And so he can say that, one, because they don't have a Bible. And then the second part is they knew Paul. He lived his, his whole life ambition was to follow Jesus. He didn't care about anything else. He was willing to put his life on it. They knew that about him, and we know that about him. And so, therefore, he can say, imitate me, because as he goes on to say in chapter 11 here is, as I imitate Christ, right? It's not like he's saying, hey, just be like me, do like me, because I, I, I'm that great. He's saying, no, my whole life is centered after Christ. So if anything, just imitate me as you've seen me do, because my whole life is about Christ. And if you imitate me, then you will be back on the road of pursuing Christ and not pursuing this world. 
when it comes to our life, when it comes to you and I, what we need to understand is we're going to imitate someone. All right, we're going to imitate someone. You may not know who you exactly imitate, but you're imitating someone. It's guaranteed. There's someone within your life. There's someone that, that's in your sphere of influence that if you don't have a mindset of I'm going to intentionally imitate some, uh, this person, then guess what? You're just going to start imitating people that are around you. I mean, it happens to us all the time. Most of you in here, you have developed something from your parents. All right, the way you, you, you treat your wife, the way that you, you, you treat your kids, a lot of it is because of what you saw your parents do to you. All right, you didn't say like, okay, I'm going to focus on my parents my entire life because that's how I'm going to treat just It's just what you do, right? We imitate those that we're around, whether we know it or not, right? It could be at your job. The, way, the reason you work the way you do is because somebody within your career, you had, they had an impact on you, whether it was good or bad, and you think of them, or you may not think of them, but you imitate them in your own work style, right? You might be a hard worker, or you might have a specific trade that you do, uh, but you, you got that from somebody because you imitated somebody. Think about a skill or a hobby. Before you got good at that skill or a hobby, you watched somebody else do it. Right? You, took, you took notes from somebody else, or you just, you just watched them, and then eventually you started to do as they did. And now all of a sudden you've developed it into something that you do. Because we always imitate someone. Always imitate someone. The thing that we need to understand and we need to be intentional about when we think about imitating as others are imitating Christ and making sure that we imitate someone that's going to make us be more like Christ, is we need to be intentional about the person that we're imitating. And we need to find someone that is productive or that, is actually, that has fruit that, that's bearing in their life that you can look at and say, that person loves Jesus. And we need to find those people and we need to connect with them. Because if we connect with them, then they're going to spur us on to be more like Christ because they are modeling the role as we should in our life. And that's point number one for us this morning is you and I need to connect with a productive role model. Connect with a productive role model, somebody that's going to spur you on. When you think about being in discipleship, not just any person because it's like, hey, you, you, you're right here next to me and um, I don't have anybody, you don't have anybody, Let, let's, let's disciple one another. No, that, that may not be productive for you. You need to go seek out someone and be intentional about connecting with someone that is going to spur you on to be more like Christ. More like Christ. How do I do that? Here's, here's the... the, the, the Step one for a discipleship, because I, I get it. Some of you might be like, I, I want to do it, but, but what do I do first? We take what God has commanded us to do, we obey it, and we apply it in our lives. We take what God's commanded us to do, we obey, and we apply it in our life. What, what does that have to do with discipleship? As you seek to obey and apply it in your life, you should go find someone within this ministry, within this church, within the context of the local church, that you can identify and say, that person right there is obeying God's command. One, one of his commands that I need to get better at, and go talk to that person. Go just ask them, hey, can you, can, you, can you help me? Can you help me? Here's an example. James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when we, meet, when we face trials of various kinds, right? right? Count it all joy to have patience during trials. That's a hard thing to do. Most of us read that passage and say, oh, I don't know how to do that. But there are men in this room right now that have gone through many trials in their life. And they can still count it all joy because they, they're not focused on the trial. They're focused on Christ. 
And so it might be you saying, I don't have a lot of joy in my life. I don't have a lot of patience in my life. I don't have a lot of trust in my life when I face trials. I need to go meet with this brother over here because it seems like every time he's going through a trial, has gone through a trial, he's still praising God. I need more of that. Can you help me do that? There you go. That starts discipleship right there. Can, can you help me do that? I admire this about you. I see that you love Jesus in, in no, whatever's going on in your life. Can you help me do that better? And then what you do is you open up God's word and we see what God's word says. We read a book together. We pray together. And then we, we work together to apply it. Right? That person disciples you. That person helps you to stay course corrected as you seek to be more like Christ. Right? Ephesians 5, another passage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? There are many of us in here right now that can raise our hands and say, I, I need to be loving my wife better. I need to be loving my wife better. There are men in here right now that are loving their wives well. Right? You love your wife well as Christ loved the church. Right? There's not a caveat to that. It's not like when the sex is good or, or when she's agreeing with me. No, you, you, you love your wife well, and some of you need help with that. And it's about being humble enough to say, you know what? I see you're always praising your wife. You're always lifting her up. You're always caring for her, supporting her, praying for her, talking about her. Can you help me do that? Can you help me do that better? Right? Discipleship starts right then. Let me give you one more. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. The psalm starts off. We just got into it in our DBR. Blessed is the man, and then it goes into verse 2 after that. Uh, Blessed is the man who delights in, this law of the, in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Right? That's how we start the book of Psalms. That, that, that loves the law of the Lord, meditates on it day and night. That's a good thing. If we meditate on God's word day and night, it'd be good for you if you're struggling to meditate on God's word day and night, for you to connect with someone that is doing that well, for you to connect with someone that is role modeling that well and say, can you help me do that? Look, I, I'm in a season right now, I'm in a drought where I, I'm just not getting in God's word the way I should. I see you always got your Bible open. Every time I come to Bible study, before we even start, you got your Bible open. Can you just help me get on the same track that you are? What, what, what's, what passage are you reading? What are you meditating on? Is there a book that you're reading? Is there, is, there, is there scripture meditation that you're doing? Can you help me do that? All right, find men that are doing it well, that are role modeling this well. Connect with them and then allow them to help you be more like Christ through discipleship. That's how we get started. That's how we connect with a productive role model, somebody that is doing it well. Turn with me to Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse, verse 17. We'll start there because here's the thing. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church who is acting worldly. They're acting like non-Christians, as I just said. But then he has a message for the church in Philippi as well. And if you know anything about the church in Philippi, this, this church brings Paul great joy, right? Great joy. And so he, he's pleased with them. He still has some correction for them, but he's pleased with how they are pursuing Christ, how they are continuing to preach the gospel. He, they bring him great joy. But look at the message that Paul has for them. He tells the Corinthians who are not pursuing Christ, they're pursuing worldly things, imitate me. But look what he says to them in Philippi. Brothers, join in imitating me. Right? The message doesn't change. It doesn't change. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Right? Different church context, same exact message. Paul's saying, imitate me, as I, of course, imitate Christ. And he tells the Philippians that in Philippians 3. 
Right, he, he's saying, I, I count it all as, as garbage the rest of his life. Everything else that he had in his life, he counts it all as garbage, right? Because all he wants to set his life on doing is gaining more Christ. And so they know that about him. We know that about him. And he's saying, imitate me. Even though you're doing well, even though you bring me great joy, Im- imitate me. Imitate me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So they have people that are, that are, that are, pursuing Christ well. They bring him great joy. He's saying, keep your eyes on those people, right? Watch those people. You and I have people that are pursuing Christ well here. We keep our eyes on those people. All right, my question to, to all of you, to all of us in this room is, who are you keeping your eyes on? Like, you really have to think about that. If I asked you personally, who are you keeping your eyes on to make you more like Christ, could you give me someone? Could you tell me a name? This is the person that I'm keeping my eyes on. They're helping me be more like Christ. Because guess what? Yeah, we all can say, oh, my, my, my church as a whole or, oh, my pastor as a whole. But we all need an intentional person that we're connected with that's role modeling what it means to be more like Christ, what it means to love Christ. And we need to keep our eyes on that person. We all need that person. And if you don't have that person, then that's where we need to be prayerful about it. And we need to go connect with somebody that can help us be more like Christ. That's what discipleship is. That's how Jesus is going to continue to build his church. When we get intentional about who we're following and who we're being spurred on by. There's a Netflix documentary um, that recently came out, I think within the last couple of years. Uh, it's called The Redeem Team. Redeem Team. It's about the 2008 men's basketball Olympic team. All right, the U.S. team, uh, they, they, they are called the Redeem Team because they got mopped up by the European teams in the previous Olympics. All right, and then they started to put the B-level and C-level players out there, which you know, they blow me out the water, but uh, uh, compared to the rest of the world, the, the other pros, it wasn't cutting it anymore. And so they put together this redeem team. They got all the A-level players, the LeBron James of the world, the Chris Pauls of the world, the Carmelo Anthony, all of those players, and they put them on the team because it's like, we got to go back and achieve this gold medal. And so while they started with this redeem team, everything was going okay. It was headed in the right direction, but they weren't quite there yet. And then they added one person to the team. And when this one person came to the team, he was automatically set as the captain. He hadn't even practiced yet, but he was the captain of the team because everybody just knew. That one person was Kobe. Kobe Bryant. They added Kobe Bryant to this already star-studded team, and guess what? He changed the whole dynamic of that team of A-level players because when he came in, he worked harder than anybody, and they knew that about him. And so when weight room started at 7 a.m. for everybody, Kobe was there at 4 a.m. And everybody else started to naturally feel like – I. I, I got to do this dude's working hard, man. I got I to gotta step up my game. And then before you know it, you had two people coming at 4 a.m. Then you had five people coming at 4 a.m. And you had the whole team coming at 4 a.m. And they don't want to get up that early, but they're there because they have a leader. They have somebody that is spurring them on to say, look, I, I, I got my eyes set on something. And we all need to be there. Right? They had their eyes set on a gold medal. You and I need to have our eyes set on Jesus, and we need to have people around us that's going to spur us on, that's going to, that's going to, that's going to spur us on to get up uh, an hour earlier. Right? They're going to spur us on to be in, our, our word, in God's word an hour more. They're going to spur us on to love our wives as Christ loved the church, as we were not doing it before, just because we've watched them do it, just because they role model it, not because they're necessarily talking about it all the time. This is what I, no, we just watch their life. They role model it well. That's who we need to connect with. Because it raises our level of play. You, ha- you have that within your job, right? I'm sure you've been placed on a team where if nobody around you is working hard, then it's quite easy to be like, uh-huh, right? I, I want to work hard, but they're not, they're not inspiring me. They're not motivating me. 
And then some of you have been on teams where you're like, dude, I feel like I'm the weakest link around here. And I got to raise my level of play. I got to make sure that I'm not the one that's dragging us down. So they naturally just motivate you. When we think about the goal of being more like Christ, we need people. We need men that we're connected with that are going to role model it well, that will naturally, without even saying a word, they're going to spur us on to be more like Christ because of how they live their life, because of the fruit that they're producing. You and I need to be prayerful about it, and we need to be intentional about seeking those men out. Because guess what? When you don't, there's an opposite direction that you can go. Paul continues that in our passage in Philippians. Stay in Philippians. Verse 18, look at that. So we just read 17. He said, imitate me and keep your eyes on those who are walking in the example that you have to us. But then he goes on in 18. He says, because here's the other side. For many, for many, many of whom I've often told you now, tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul's telling it, if you don't keep your eyes on those that can push you towards Christ, guess what? There are many, many that can take you away from it. That, in fact, they've taken themselves away. They profess to be Christians, and now they're back to chasing earthly things. Now they're back to chasing things that please themselves. If you don't keep your eyes on people and seek after role models that can lead you towards Christ, you're going to seek after someone. You're going to imitate someone, and it can be someone that's leading you in an earthly direction. We need to understand it. We need to, we need to know that just pursuing someone that claims to be a Christian may not be a productive thing for you. may not be a productive thing. Because right, there's a lot of people, you look at the world, you take stats of the world, I think it's probably still somewhere around 70% of America would say they're Christians. I can look at my news feed and tell you 70% of the world ain't Christians. All right? It's just, it's just it's not there. So we can't just say, okay, that person says he's a Christian. I'm just going to follow. I'm going to imitate them. No, we need to be intentional. We need to connect with people that have fruit in their life, people that, are, that are, are doing well when it comes to pursuing Christ. Because if we're not intentional about it, we can be going the wrong direction. We could be headed on a five trying to get to LAX, and it's getting us on the wrong side of the city. We need to be intentional and look at the lives of the men that are around us and pursue those that are doing it well. There's enough around, them, around us. You should be able to tell me, I told you before, you should be able to tell me who you're, being, who you're following, who you're imitating. You should also be able to tell me why you're imitating that person. Not just because they're your best friend or not just because they're in their group and you guys were the only two without a discipleship partner, so you're like, oh, I guess we'll figure. No, you should be able to tell me I'm pursuing or this guy is, is discipling me because I see the way that they're pursuing their wife. I'm struggling to love my wife like I should this, this season right now. I know I should. I know I should be in the word more. I'm struggling. I know I'm struggling to pray. This guy is praying well, man. He's the one that's always sending me text messages about the prayer request. He's the one that's always updating his prayer. I, I, I want to pray better. That's why I'm following him as he follows Christ. Other unproductive way, I'll just throw it out there real quick, is isolation. Right? We, we, can, get, we can imitate the wrong person or we can just isolate and say, I can figure this thing out by myself. Right? We can put discipleship, we can talk about it for four, four different series and still say, eh, maybe when I got, I, I got this thing figured out. Right? We can do that, but here's what Proverbs 18.1 tells us. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. All sound judgment. 
Because here's what happens when you, when you isolate yourself. Here's what happens when you think, Look, I, I don't need somebody to tell me how to be more like Christ. I don't need somebody to help me love my wife better. I don't need somebody to help me pray better. I'll, I'll just figure this thing out on my own. Here's what happens. You lower the goal for yourself. You lower the goal for yourself, right? Because you have a bias towards yourself. You don't want to see yourself fail all the time. So you'll start to reason with yourself to say, you know what? Uh, pray, pray without ceasing means, you know, I just pray before my meals. And God, God knows my heart. God knows I'm thinking about them. I may not need to set aside time to pray. Or reading the word, man, I, you know what? I just read my favorite passage and I can quote all the verses in, in scripture. Why do I need to study it? So, all right, you start to convince yourself. You're going to lower the goal to where you feel like you're, you're actually meeting the expectations of what Christ has given us to, to obey. And we're, we're, we're missing the mark. It's like my son, when he recently moved up from playing on an eight and a half foot goal to a 10 foot goal. Guess what he wanted to do when we first started? I would raise the goal up to 10 foot and he'd be like, can we just bring it back down? Can we just bring it back down? Why? Because it's easier. I got used to playing here. I don't want to shoot up there. Like this is easier. I was knocking down shots like Steph Curry. I, I can barely make layups up here. Like let's bring it down here. All right, but he needed someone. He needed a role model. He needed a coach. He needs somebody to, to remind him, look, this is not the goal. If you want to keep playing basketball, you got you to figure this out because this is the end goal. This is where you want to be. So I know it's going to be challenging, but he needed a role model. He needs somebody that was connected with him to remind him what the goal was. The goal is not to do what you want to do. The goal is to make it to 10 foot, right, to play on 10 foot goal. For us, the goal is to be more like Christ. It's not just to have a happy life. It's not just to feel like we're doing good in terms of our Christianity. But it's towards Christ, and you need someone else that's going to role model that, someone else that's going to constantly redirect your mind towards here's the goal, here's the goal, here's the goal. I know it's hard, but here's the goal. Let's work towards this. Let's pray about this. Let's get to watch me as I pursue Christ. You need someone like that in your life. It can't be isolation. Let me step outside the text for a second before we get back into 1 Corinthians uh, because I want to give practical pastoral guidance based on how we can be more effective in our discipleship, right? And so this is four things I want to give you that's going to help you as you get into discipleship to make sure that, again, when we talk about key elements, I believe you have to have these things in order. And I believe if you have these things, then it's going to allow you to be more effective within your discipleship. Letter A, the first one here is, this is the most odd one that I'll have to explain the most, a defined time-bound goal. I've mentioned that before, a defined time-bound goal. You're not going to find that in Scripture. You're not going to find it anywhere. But I, I, I do believe that if we have a defined time-bound goal, it's going to help us get into discipleship, and it's going to help us actually progress in discipleship and, and, and get somewhere and bear fruit. Because here's the thing. If we just go into it and say, hey, I, I want to be discipled by you, if you're like me, the first question is, how long are we talking about, brother? Because, I mean, I, I get a month, two months, or whatever the time period is, but I don't want to be with you for the rest of my life. Like, I love you, but I, I mean, like, true. Most of you guys are like, well, you should be willing to be for the rest of Yeah, whatever. You super holy guys. I got you. Um, but seriously, like, just think about the difference if a guy came to you and said, hey, for the next six weeks, can you help me with my prayer life? I see that you are praying well. I see that you, you, you're all about prayer. My prayer life is, 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 is in a drought right now. For the next six weeks, can you check in with me? Can we read a, a book together? Can you tell me how your prayer life has gotten as rich as it is right now in this season for the next six weeks? I guarantee you'd be more up for doing that in, as, as opposed to a guy saying, hey, my prayer life for, the, for my whole Christian life hasn't been there. Can you help me with that? 
where where do we start? Like, where do you want to get? Do you just want to be praying one time a day? Do you want to be praying without seats? Like, like, let's get specific a little bit there. I mean, you do it within your job. All right, if your boss told you you had a task, this is the the job that I need you to get done, and they said, I need it to to get done by the end of the week. Well, guess what? You're going to start moving around things and rearranging things to get it done by the end of the week. If they just said, whenever, I guarantee you your first thought would be, well, I'll I'll do it when it becomes convenient, right? Because there's no, there's no, there's no time-bound connection to it. Right? And I'm not saying we have to have, like, it needs to be a week, it needs to be six, whatever it is, but be able to say, let's start this relationship off of discipleship by saying, here's what I want to improve in. Here's the area, not just like, oh, I want to be a better Christian. Okay, we all do. That's the ultimate goal is to be more like Christ. We, but what, what are we aiming at right now? What are we aiming at? How can we be very focused on this one goal, and then we get there, and then we start to work at other things, right? A defined time-bound goal. Define the goal and make it time-bound. And then you and your partner go after right? Go after And then you have at least at the end of whatever it is, the 30 days, six weeks, you can say, where are we at? Because maybe we move on to something else, or maybe we say, hey, we, we need to, to make some adjustments here and try something else because it, it hasn't worked over the last six weeks, right? That helps us out. Define time-bound goal. Letter B. Here's another big one, a commitment. You need to have someone that is committed from an availability standpoint and a capacity standpoint. Because guess what? There's going to be hurdles. There's going to be obstacles that you're going to face that it's like, ah, I don't want to do it today. And what makes it easier? Well, if that person is in Northern California and you guys only can do Zoom or telephone call and you're busy and they're busy, well, it's so much easier to say, hey, we'll try again next week. Right, but if, you, if you, you have somebody within the context of the local church that you're going to church with, you're sitting under the work, you're, you're at least meeting together once a week, twice a week between ministry and on the weekend, sir, uh, guess what? We, we, can meet, so we can find a time to meet. It may not work this day, but guess what? We're not going to kick it down the road because I have the capacity to do it. You have the capacity to do it, and we have a commitment to one another that we're going to hold each other accountable for this. Commitment. Being able to overcome hurdles. I use this in the first point, a connection. Connection, letter C, a connection. You need to have someone you have a connection with. And that's not about, oh, I'm going to wait until I find that perfect person that I'm connected with. No, when I mean a connection, I mean somebody that knows you. Somebody that can, you know, beyond the surface, beyond the like, hey, how you doing? Good, good. No, you're not doing good. I I know you're not, right? Because I I know this about you. I've been around you enough. We've had some conversations. We've gotten below the surface enough. You have a connection with that person. And here's why. You can't be discipled by your podcast pastor. You can't be discipled by your your podcast pastor, whomever, or podcast person, whoever. That's not your person that you're discipling. And when you talk about discipleship, one-on-one discipleship, it can't just be your pastor. Yeah, overall, we're being discipled, right? We're being grown and taught by our pastors. But you need someone that knows you. They know exactly what's going on in your life. Every pastor doesn't know everything that's going on in you. You need somebody that knows you, that can call it out. Right? They spur you on to grow because they know you. They're connected with you. They know things about your life that maybe everybody, and not everybody should know, but everybody doesn't know across the surface. There's a connection. Letter D, here's the last one. Might be the most important, but they're in no particular order. Humility. Humility. I've mentioned that a couple times. If we don't have humility when it comes to discipleship, it won't work. It won't work. It will not be productive. Right, because all you'll start to do is check the boxes. 
Oh, did you read your Bible today? Yeah, I read mine today. All right, cool. Did you have any problems? No, I read it. I understood. I'm fine. All right, cool. Check the box. Move on. Right? There's no humility to say, look, I, I, I'm not doing well here. Matter of fact, you won't even get in conversation because you won't go to somebody and say, I'm not doing this well. You, you, just, you, you won't do it. The humility, the pride won't allow you to do it because you're like, ah, I want them to keep thinking of me and holy. You know, I'm, a, I'm an MBS leader. I, can, I, can't, I can't, just can't say that, man. I'm a leader. Like what? No. We all need to have humility. Everyone needs to have humility. If we don't have humility, that honesty and that transparency, we're fooling ourselves. We're making ourselves feel good, but we're not moving the needle. We're not being productive when it comes to being more like Christ. We need to be humble. We need to be open to correction. If you have someone that's willing to speak into your life and say, hey, this is where I see an area that you need some growth, or I saw you talk to your kids this way, brother, that's not right. You need to have someone to be able to speak to you boldly and courageously, and then for you to be able to say, you're right, because I know you're trying to make me more like Christ. You're trying to lead me to be more like Christ, not trying to just, you know, make it hard on me. The goal is Christ, but it requires humility from all of us to say, look, none of us are there. None of us will ever be there on this side of eternity. It, it, we, we won't be there. We always have something we need to work on, and we need to have humility. Not competitive spirit, but one of those to say, I want to grow. I want to be more like Christ. I need to connect with somebody that's going to help me to do that. Back in our passage, 1 Corinthians 4, 17, we see an example of this. We see, matter of fact, one of the best examples of discipleship on display and that's between Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. You, you want to see a great model to imitate? It's Paul and Timothy, right? Because we see it constantly. I talk about that learning, teaching, learning, teaching, learning, teaching. It, it comes all the time. Paul is being taught originally what, what, what Jesus was doing, Jesus' ways. And then he's, he's learned that. Now he's teaching Timothy. He's teaching Timothy all that he knows discipling Timothy. And right, Timothy then goes and takes what Paul has taught him, and then he goes and he becomes the pastor of a church, right? And he's teaching his people. And then he, they're teaching more, and they're teaching more, and they're just learning, teaching, learning, teaching. It starts all the way back in Scripture, right? It's, Paul and Timothy are a great example of it. And this is why he sent Timothy. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians 4, 17. That is why I sent you, Timothy. Why? Because he is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. He sent Timothy because he knew what Timothy was all about. He knew Timothy was faithful. Right? He, even sent, he talked about Timothy to the, to the Philippians. He said this in Philippians 2, 19 through 22, I hope in the Lord to send, you Timothy, to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered of, your new, of the news of you. For I have no one like him. No one like him. I'm sure Paul probably hung around some, some godly men. He said, I have no one like Timothy, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. You know his worth. You know his value. He has fruit in his life. You've seen him. You've, you've heard about him. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Right? There's consistency. There's productivity between Paul and Timothy. And he, Paul knows if I need people to imitate me, I can send Timothy because Timothy is going to imitate me. He's going to be faithful. And not just imitate me, but again, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's imitating Christ. Timothy's going to do that. He's faithful to do that because he knows he must stay centered on him in order to, to be productive. He, he has to stay centered on Christ 
can't start to give his own advice because I'm sure he had good advice. I'm sure he could, he could tell some people, you know, some, some personal things that work for him, that, that, that the Spirit used through him. He could have probably done that, but he knows that, that doesn't work. That eventually fails. I need to keep the message centered on Christ. There's articles that are out right now about um, iPhone 15 is coming out. And what's interesting about every iPhone that they have coming out is one of the features that they talk about is the battery. Oh, it's a bigger battery. Oh, this is a bigger battery. It's going to last a lot longer. You, you won't have to charge it in for whatever. Um, but you know what's interesting about the battery? Eventually, it's going to fail. I don't care. About time we get to iPhone 30, you might have to wait a week, but you got to get it back to the charger. It needs a power source. It needs a greater power source than what it can provide. Right? It has to be centered on the charger because otherwise it will eventually fail. When we start to think that, okay, I got God's word, and now I can start to tell people based on my experience or based on how I feel like they should be led towards Christ, instead of being centered on the power source, God's word, eventually our words will fail too. Because our words aren't what has the power. God's word has the power. And so we always need to be centered on God's word. We always need to be discipling based on God's word in the ways of Jesus. And so for point number two this morning, we need to, you and I, our goal, if it's to be more like Christ, we need to be centered on Jesus. Centered on Jesus, because Jesus is the power source, right? He's the one that's going to make us more like Christ. Through the Spirit working in us, if we center on the ways of Jesus Christ, on God's Word, then that's going to grow us spiritually. It's not about, hey, this is what worked for me uh, a year ago when I was struggling with prayer. Like, what does God's Word say about it? And yes, we can provide some application, but it always needs to be centered on God's Word. That's our power source. That's our power source because our words will eventually fail just like any phone will fail. Because here's the thing, you and I will be tempted to, once we start to feel good and feel like we're on a good string of Christianity or our faith, to start to say, mm, this is what I would do. Right? And we, we start to, to be less about saying this is what God's word say, and we start to say, let me just tell, tell you what worked for me last year. Uh, this is what God did in my life, and this is what worked. This is how I started to love my wife better. Or this is why I love my wife better. Uh-uh. We need to get back to God's word. That's what has the power. Right? It's the difference between biblical counseling and secular counseling. Biblical counseling and secular counseling. If you sign up for counseling uh, here at our church, you're going to get biblical counseling is what we call it, right? New to tail. Biblical counseling. It's that we use God's word and we center everything around there. It's the difference between biblical counseling and secular counseling. Secular counseling is... Man's best thoughts, if you will, they're taking history, they're considering uh, life experience, they're consider considering trends of the world, all of those things compiled into here's, here's your problem and here's how we can fix the problem. The difference in the, the key point with biblical counseling is you come in with a problem, maybe just like you would with secular counseling, but instead of me saying, hmm, this is what worked for me, this is what I've seen before, this is my last few patients, it's worked for them, we're going to open up God's word and we're going to say, what does God's word say about that? What does God's word say about that? And we're going to pray about it, and then guess what? There's going to be some application, but it's going to all be drawn from God's word. This is the center. This is where the power comes from. I ain't got nothing for you on my own accord. But if I go to God's word and you are a believer, you're a Christian sitting in front of me, then you know who's going to do the work? The Spirit's going to do the work. And I can leave that meeting not feeling like I solved the problem because I can leave that meeting saying, we, we got God's word, we got some application to it, and now we're going to pray and let God do his work. That's where the power comes from. It's all centered on Jesus. It's all centered on God's word, not 
my word, not any man's word. And does that mean you can't ever give application? I'm not saying that. You, can't, you, you can always give, hey, here's how God worked through my life. What I'm saying is we shouldn't lead with that and say, this is what's going to solve your problem. It always needs to come back to Jesus is what's going to solve the heart issue that we have. And the Spirit is going to work through God's word. But then even with that is saying, hey, you know, you want to love your wife better? You need to start going on a date with your wife. Like you and your wife, leave the kids at home, go on a date. That's fine. But again, that goes back to God's word, right? Because we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That's an application to it. So that's fine. I'm just saying, not saying, hey, this is what's going to work for your marriage without ever opening up God's word, without ever centering on Jesus. That's what we have to make sure to do because we need to echo the words of Jesus, not echo man's best thoughts. Does that make sense? that clear? Because that's where our power is. That's our power source. That's what we need to plug into to make sure that we are meeting the goal of being more like Christ and fighting that temptation to just spew out what's worked for us. Open up God's word, study it, read it, meditate on it. As Paul is telling us in this passage, even though the Corinthian church is not on the right track, they're, not, they're, they're pursuing earthly things, he's not giving them some unique message. He says he's preaching the same thing everywhere to every church. Everywhere to every church. Everywhere to every church, here's the solution. Doesn't matter what you have. Here's the solution is Jesus. That's the solution. And that's what Paul wants them to know. It's like, look, you, you, I'm not saying here's a special. Here's the solution is Jesus. It's centered on one thing because Jesus has the power to save. The Spirit is the one that does the work to grow us to be more like Christ. In 2011, when I was in Texas, I remember um, in and out first came to Texas. And in my opinion, it was just a bad move. Like, that's Whataburger country. Like, leave it alone. Like, you take that. You ta- I'm converted. I'm an In-N-Out guy. I take In-N-Out over Whataburger. Even I, I wouldn't say that back in Texas, but I do. It, it's better. So I, I get it, but I just think company-wide, I, you, you stay, in, stay in your territory or go to new territory because it, it just didn't work right away. But that's not my point. I just wanted to make that clear that I thought it was a bad decision. <laughs> They're not asking me for my opinion at all. Um, but here was the thing, like when I went to the in and out because I was familiar with it because we were about to move out here a year later, um, I talked to many of the employees because they just seemed like they were fully staffed. There was like so many people in white aprons and gowns, uh, whatever they, they're dressed in, so many of them. And so I asked, I'm like, all these people new? They're like, no, half of the staff is from California. You see, they send out people from California to train and build the culture of every store that they build. That's just a process. They, they, they do that. That's why they never let, let a store just start on their own. With just a, They send out people from the headquarters, and then they place them there for four to six months. They set the, the foundation. They set the culture, and then they go back by the time that everybody is, is trained up. But they never just say, all right, you got it. You're on your own. They always send out people, and they're all corporate locations. That's the thing. When you have a corporate location, it's, here's the message, here's the purpose, and then now it gets fil- filtered down to every single brick-and-mortar store that they have. It's different from franchise. A franchise may have the label on the outside, but it has different owners. And depending on what the owner wants to do, depending on how they're running their franchise, it might be different from this one or this one over here. That's why you can have one that says, this coupon is only valid here. It drives me nuts. Like, why, why, why? It's the same. But because it's a different operating model, right? It's the same label on the top, but the franchise can run it a lot different. The corporate is centered on one message, one purpose, one goal, one culture, if we're talking about in and out still, right? And everybody gets that same message. Everybody gets that same purpose. Everybody understands that same culture if they're going to work there. 
And that's what makes it great because you can go to any in and out no matter where it is, and you're going to get the same thing pretty much, right? You get the same menu items. You get the same culture. You get the same support because it's all based on one source. When you and I start giving too much advice, when we're not centered on Jesus, we start to operate Christianity like a franchise model. Like a franchise model. We take Christianity and then we say, okay, I got, I got the, the general culture. I got the general understanding of it. But here's what I would add to it. And here's what worked for me. And this is what would work for you. We need to understand in order to be productive, in order to be in discipleship that's effective towards the goal of being more like Christ, we need to have a corporate model. Understanding here's the mission. Here's the purpose. Here's the plan centered in God's word. Now, how do we roll that out? How do we go make others understand this more and teach others to teach others how to learn and apply God's word. We need to have a corporate approach and understand that it needs to be centered on Jesus. And that's the beauty of our faith. That's the beauty of Christianity. No matter where it is, there's unity, there's consistency with the message. Across thousands and thousands of years, there's unity and consistency. That's why you can go and have a young, young guy over here being discipled by an older guy, or an older guy being discipled by a younger guy, because it's not about what do you know, what do you know, it's about what does God's word say, and how can you help me become more like Christ. All right, that's why you can take a single man and a married man. There's two completely different lives that they have, right? But they both can, can help each other. They both can disciple one another to be more like Christ because it's centered on God's word. There's unity and there's consistency. That's why you can take a guy that's here at Compass Bible Church and as we just did this week with Pastor Lucas and Elvis, we can send them out to Guatemala Church, Compass Bible Church in Guatemala, and it, it, it's all the same. They're talking about the same thing. They got the same goal in mind because it's centered on Jesus. It's centered on his plan and how he's building his church. There's unity. There's consistency everywhere, as Paul says. Everywhere. Every church, everywhere. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we need to be faithful to Jesus you can finish this phrase for me. You all know it. It's not how you start, but it's how you finish. And I kind of like that, but at the same time, I kind of don't. Because I always think in my mind is, well, if you don't have a good start, you may not even finish. Right? You, you, you do have to have a good start, or you might not get there. We can't just rule out the start. When we think about discipleship, we can all have this goal at the end of the mind. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like Christ. But if we don't have the key elements the key foundations to get it started, then we, we, we may not make it to the finish. We may not be productive when it comes to being more like Christ if we don't have these key elements when it comes to the start. And those key elements, as we think about our two points today, is prayer and intentionality of who you're imitating. We all are imitating someone. You need to be intentional about saying, I know I might be imitating someone, but when it comes to Christ, this is the person for this season right now, this, this defined time, this is who I'm imitating, and they're helping me be more like Christ. Who is that person in your life? If you don't have that person, you need to have that person, because guess what? You could be imitating someone that's taking you on a different path, on a non-productive path, and it all needs to be centered on the power source. That's Jesus. All throughout discipleship, it has to come back to Jesus. It has to come back to Jesus. It has to come back to Jesus. That's our goal at the end of the day. It has to stay centered on him. And when we do that, then there's guaranteed growth promise. There's a guaranteed spiritual growth promise when we, you, when we have discipleship happening that way. And it's not because of any skill set that you have. It's not because of how much Bible that you know. It has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with the spirit of Jesus that is working within us. 
in us, working within us to make us all more like Christ so that he can continue to build his church. That's the goal, and that's what we need to be centered on. And those are key elements that you and I must have in order to be an effective and productive discipleship relationship. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us, one, this corporate unified message of Jesus Christ that we all can know and we all can be centered on and we all can understand and see through testimonies and through our own sanctification that there's, that's the power. That's the power. That's the power that, that continues to, to live on for the rest of our life and that we can then pour into other people and that's how you build your church. Thank you for that. Thank you for putting men around our lives that we can utilize. And I know we always need to do a better job of engaging with other men, being humble enough to say, I need help with this. And, Lord, I just pray that all of us would be humble and that we would do that. Because once we do, Lord, we know that you will, you will grow us tremendously. But it takes, first, us being humble enough, us being able to say, I want to grow in this way, and us being intentional about who we're seeking and who we're imitating. Lord, help us to do that well this week and even moving forward. I pray that that would be a part of our life that we would, we would never lose focus on who we're being discipled by, who we are imitating, and that we would always seek to find someone that's imitating you with that being the goal of our life. So help us to do that well, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.